When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Megan Gilger, and welcome to the Fresh Exchange Podcast. Welcome, friends. I hope you are well today. I hope you're doing good. I hope you're feeling good. I hope that you are finding a pace in this new rhythm. This last weekend, we did all of our final cleanup in the garden, and it was so good to do because it felt like we just kind of like ended something so that we could begin something else, which beginning something else right now involves rest and relaxation and letting the garden rest. So sometimes we think about beginnings as this thing that it has to be something new or exciting or something we didn't expect. And I, I think it's also important to think about new, a new chapter is also a time for rest. You know, in our society, I feel like we reward the next thing so much that we forget that there has to be space for rest. And so I love acknowledging that when winter comes around that this is a time to sit back, to get more sleep, to be slower, to remove ourselves from the clutter and maybe even remove some clutter. So I want us to think about that as we think about moving into this, you know, next season. I mean, we're starting to move into a new season and I, I feel like the seasons end, like the fall season kind of ends when the garden closes. And it's a little later this year than it has been in the past. Not sure why. Maybe it is climate change. Maybe it's not. Either way, it is what it is. And so now is the moment, the rhythm, the point in which we are to rest. 
So a lot of our conversations are going to start stemming on like preparations, um, thinking about how we can rest, think about this next few months of like adapting to a cold season and then talking about planning. We are going to be continuing, the podcast will continue till December 22nd will be our last episode of the year. And then I'll be taking a break for about four weeks so that I can work on some personal projects after the holidays and get them up and going. And so we'll be ready for the new year. And so then we'll start then, and we'll be talking a lot about planning. But one of the things that I want us to start talking about now, as we're closing out our gardens, as we're removing plants, and we're hopefully passing some gratitude to the plants that have given us so much this year, I want to also be adding in this unique conversation about history in the garden. And I don't mean history as in like your own history in the garden. That's important too, but in a completely different way. We're talking about the history of these plants that we're growing because this is maybe something you haven't thought about. And I think it has been something that I've been kind of doing some slow work on over the past few years, and I have a really long ways to go. I mean, there are people dedicated to learning about the history of just one plant. Like, that is their work. So to say I even know the history of maybe a dozen plants on a surface level is pretty pretty robust, I feel like. <laughs> but it's a continual process that we go through. But what I want you guys to think about as we go into the season, and we can do some more t- discussion about the, about this more, but I want us to think about as we're starting to plant our gardens coming into this next season, or even removing plants, I want to encourage you to become curious. And that's what we're going to talk about today is why we should be even thinking about being curious about the history of a plant. So this, like I said, may be something you haven't thought about. And I think it's a, it's something I didn't ever think about. I mean, I gardened for like 10 years before I even thought, oh, where did the seed of a cow pea originate? Did you even, do you know? I mean, it, I didn't know. I didn't know any of this. And some of it was like, I just one day was planting and then was like, I wonder like how somebody discovered this and how did somebody like put this in, in as a food item? How did this thing become a cultural staple and why is it something that we're growing now? And that's just me. I'm a naturally curious person. I want to know these things. I want to understand these things. I'm the same way with humans. I want to understand somebody's story. Like, how did they get somewhere? How did they end up doing what they're doing? But I started applying this to plants probably during the pandemic because I didn't have as many like (laughs) human relationships going on at the time that I started developing more plant relationships. And, you know, I think it was a good thing because now I have so many stories in my head. I have such a deep appreciation and a gratitude for some of these plants and the people that brought them more or less to my own hands and to our plates because there's so many layers to it and it's beautiful, but it also tells a story and a history of the world 
that is not full of colonization, but it is full of the truth of what happened in history. And a little background on me here. I love history. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Like I said, I love knowing people's history and their stories. So it shouldn't be a huge surprise, but I literally was going to school to become a history teacher. AP history was one of my favorite classes. World history was absolutely fascinating to me. When I go to a city, the first thing I look for are the museums. And it's in like rocks are absolutely fascinating to me. And I think it's the same thing. So I have really loved diving into this. And there's part of me that's like, maybe we need to start like a third level of the podcast where we just talk about plant history, which would be really fun, but I don't have the time right now. So we're just going to, I'm going to encourage you to become curious. And then we can go into that one day when maybe I have more time in my hands. But for now, this is what we're going to work with. But I think that why this is so important, particularly, and why I want you to become curious as you're thinking about planning your garden this year, this next year, and you're ending your garden right now, is that we have a picture that of the world history, of how humans are connected. But much of that history is shared with plants. And there's this intertwining that I've discovered and loved unfolding of that story, that the history of like plant and human plants tell our history in the clearest, most honest way. You cannot really de like you cannot take away that, um, imperial story out of anything because the plant, the story would no longer exist. What I mean is let's just take Amarath, for instance, this story was one of the most fascinating to me and it really blew my mind because I knew some of this from world history, but, and being really curious about, um, Central American history, particularly because we don't learn about it a lot, but it's a really fascinating just how the Mayans and the Aztecs functioned and, you know, and how the conquistadors came over and all of that. And I didn't know, you know, there's a story that we're taught in school, which I question deeply the more I live, but then there's a story that the Amarath can tell us. And to me, the plant, the story of the plant tells the most honest version of that story because by eliminating parts of that story, you eliminate the history of something and meaning in this situation, the plant itself. And I'm going to give like a super high level example of this. There is far more detail that I am going to give because I, we could go deep, but this is not like hardcore plant history version, you know, (laughs) if you've ever listened to that podcast, but this is definitely not that. But basically this is, this is the example of how important plant history is and why when we're talking about decolonization and, you know, kind of breaking down these barriers of what we've been told about how the Americas have been developed and created and everything, 
and we're talking about going back to the indigenous wisdom, we can find so much of that wisdom and history and honest truth about that history when we start researching plants. And some of it can be candied, candied up a little bit. So we got to really dig into it and it can be hard to really find the depths of something, but this piece I think tells it in such a good way. So I'm just going to tell this on a high level to get you guys excited because I think this was one of the first plants that I read about and I was like, whoa, this is so fascinating. And yeah, so amaranth, if you guys aren't aware of it, is this incredible grain. You can grow it in various ways, but like we had one that the stem of it was basically, I would say three to four inches wide and it had huge branches. It was eight feet tall. It was amazing. Okay. And it gives us tons of grain. I've talked about how to remove the grain, how to use the grain, all sorts of things. But Amarath became a, a product really as a superfood, as an ancient grain, because it is in the 1970s when it was reintroduced to the market, which is crazy because this thing has been around for centuries. Amarath dates back all the way to the Mayans and the Aztecs. The Aztecs particularly, they used it in Central America. It was seen as this grain that was incredibly important to a lot of their deities and to their religious services, like spirituality and the deities that they had in their culture and in their faith and religion that they had built in order to understand the world and that they knew and nature and everything. So what they would do is they would take honey and they would take the grain of the amaranth, they would pop it and then create the deities out of giant statues. And so if there was a deity that was focused on fertility, for instance, as we know, the Aztecs were quite gruesome and how they would like sacrifice and do things. So it shouldn't be a surprise that they would do this, but then they would chop up the deity, see it as a sacrifice. And then the people who needed, you know, the woman who needed fertility or was trying for a child or whatever it may be. And this is just an example would then eat that in the belief being that by eating this sacred thing, you would have been, you know, you would gain that ability or whatever you may need in that situation. So they would utilize it as how they created their deities. And it was so sacred to them. It was part of so many religious ceremonies and they grew fields and fields and fields of this. But then when the conquistadors came and they came to spread Christianity to the Aztec people and to take away their culture in some ways and always, um, they decided to burn the fields of the Amarath because it was it was connected to the very thing that countered Christianity. So they, you know, just demolished the fields of this grain for these people. And but what happened was is there were Aztecs that took the grain and they stored it and hid it, hid it for centuries. 
so that it would survive. It was that meaningful and important to them that this was saved and enjoyed. And it was like holding their history and their culture in one plant. And they kept it sacred and hidden for so long until there was a a historian, a plant historian who came down to the, he was doing research in the Aztec Mayan world of like, what were the plants like? What were the things that they knew about these plants? What can we learn about these plants and about their food systems to understand their history better? And he was, after a lot of time, brought into some descendants of the Aztecs and he was able to actually like meet them and they were willing to show him this grain and tell him the history that had been passed down for centuries through word of mouth carried within the seeds of this plant, basically. And he experienced it. They showed him how they, that they would have used it centuries ago. And he, he t- helped them repropagate it into something that now grows wildly in South America, right alongside what we know now as quinoa. And so they look very similar. And so it's just, it wasn't until the 1970s though. Think about that span of time from, you know, a, I think it was like, so I can't even remember. I'd have to look back at the amount of time and I'm not going to do math for you guys. So it was a lot of years. Okay. We're talking like thousands of years of saving and hiding this very thing in order to preserve something. And now it just grows in my garden and I don't think about it if I'm not aware or careful. But now the respect and understanding I have for this plant I think about that, like what that must have been like to be those those Aztec people who had something so precious to them. And whether or not I agree with how they used it or not doesn't matter. What matters is, is that as a hum, human being, I can understand what it is to, to love and adore and value something as part of my culture. And then it to be stripped of my understanding of the world. So I think about that now when I'm harvesting it, when I'm doing all that. And I think it adds this level of empathy and depth to my gardening that I wouldn't understand otherwise. And that's just one plant. We can go down, we can go into marigolds, calendula, cow peas, black eyed peas, like yun, okra, sweet potatoes, all of it has a story and it's all tied to human story, to human history. And I think this is why it's so important. And it's so easy to just put some seeds in the ground and not question them. Like the daikon radish, the um, bok choy, what are the stories there? What can they tell us about who we are as humans as equally as we are and our connection to plants. And that's why I want to encourage you guys to get curious as we head into the planting season. Not that you have to research every single one, but if one of these plants strikes some sort of energy in you where you're like, you know what? Like, why carrots? (laughs) I know it sounds silly, but, or what's the origin story of corn? Like what was the first corn that was growing? Can I grow that? There's so much to explore that just goes beyond choosing things that are beautiful 
We can choose things that have deeper meaning and tell a story and be beautiful. So you're probably like, well, Megan, how do you even go about understanding this? That's the tricky part. And because one, and this is why I say like, don't try to do everything. Take one or two. That's what I do every year right now. And I, like I said, I probably only really understand the history of about 12 plants. I, there might be a book out there about this, but I, if you know of one, I would love for you guys to message me, but there, I haven't found one yet. Um, it would be fascinating to read, but from my research, I have just started Googling, like I'll look up like his, like history of Amarath and there's a lot of things that come up and I just read a bunch of different things and kind of gather, but I really look for like accredited sources, just like we do with anything. I'm not just looking for like a random blog post. I'm looking for somebody who's like really dug into it, usually from a university or something like that, where they're being held to, you know, state sources and all of that. So I would really suggest looking for stuff like that. And you'll find some of these plants don't have a story. There's also so many of the plants that we know and we use in the garden, such as okra or peppers, things like that. Um, they came in a lot of beans, a ton of beans came over from West Africa during the slave trade. Most of them were braided into the hair of women when they came over on the ships for the same reason as the Aztecs held onto them. They held stories, they held culture. And now they're used in the South as cultural things as well. And that story and journey is really interesting. The I watched, if, so if you want to dive into even those sort of plants from just the West Africa slave trade, you can watch um, High on the Hog on Netflix and they do a really good job of talking about some of that and the um, people that produced that, that were behind it. They did a really great job or they have external work that does a great job of telling that story and those journeys and food and, and how food connects that story, which is directly tied to seeds because obviously like seeds or where food comes from. So that is a great way to do it. And the best time to do it is just whenever you feel the curiosity, you can do it, you know, while you're sitting there planning your garden, just have your computer open and start Googling and see what comes up and get curious because that's how we learn these things. And, and like I said, it expands our, our enjoyment in the garden, which who doesn't want to enjoy gardening more, right? <laughs> so, and it places this like deep level of empathy and appreciation to the human experience and what it is to be human and to have a spot to grow these things. So, yeah. But as some people ask, like, how do I honor this? You honor this by like continuing to spread the story through sharing it, through revealing what lies underneath. And you do that through, you know, if you, you <laughs> for instance, we'll just take black eyed peas. They were one of those that were, tr you know, braided into the hair of women coming from West Africa on those slave ships. They did that because of those, the meaning of that being to them and it held stories for them. And those stories we will never fully know probably, but 
they that still exists and how to honor that is complicated. But I think by revealing the truth of how they arrived somewhere, you know, instead of just planting them and harvesting and saving them, we can honor them by, you know, when a friend comes to visit our garden, by discussing, you know, I planted this because I read this amazing story about how this happened. And I understand why these plants are so amazing because I understand their, their origin. And then your friend will be like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And it's such a simple thing, but it really does go a long way. And it, it carries that story further. And it's like a ripple effect. The more we know, the more we know, you know? So I hope this has been a great podcast to just kind of like inspire you to get, to have some fun. I, I think this is fun. It, it should be. And I'm happy to talk about it some more, but, uh, like I said, I would love to do a series where we just dive in. Maybe I just need to find a plant historian and like talk with them. I think it'd be fascinating, but I would love to hear any of your stories that you've learned about the plants you've grown, even if they're later in the season, send them my way. I would love to hear that. And as always, the best way to support our podcast and to keep these episodes coming and this sort of information and everything is to give us a subscribe, leave a review. Any of that is super helpful, especially on Apple. So, and share it with friends. That always means so much to me. So, I really appreciate all of your support and it's hard to believe we're closing in on the end of the year. So we got a you know few more weeks to go, but uh, it's amazing that we've gone almost a whole year of sharing this podcast. So until then, friends, I will see you out there. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.